So we've just published our 100th Supporting Champions podcast and it's been an amazing four years really and a real privilege and honour to, to meet with, discuss, pull apart some of the different performance concepts with high achievers, researchers, coaches, people from different industries. And so this really is a chance for me to reflect, to, to take a chance to, to zoom out and think about what are the common trends, what are the lessons that I've learned over the last four years of, of taking this opportunity to record these podcasts for people like you. So rather than reflect on my own, what I thought I'd do is ask Jamie Pringle, close colleague, close friend, to come and help me do that. So let's get into that conversation. So, JP, thanks for thanks for helping me reflect. I, I did ask you, can you help me reflect after the hundredth podcast? And your first reaction was was that's the most narcissistic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> On the a basis of a good idea. can you talk to me about my podcast, please? That does, <laughs> does sound potentially narcissistic, but um, having been part of the first few podcast recordings with the brilliant Rosie Mays. Um, 100th podcast just gone out, not sure what we're going to do after that. So as much as anything to put a bit of a cap on it and get a chance to, to look back over the nearly four years now of recording interviews yeah. and discussions with people. Um, yeah, it was, it was almost just sort of throw it over to you. Yeah, well, that was my first question. Just how long has, has it been? It's four years. It's four years. So um, Alison Thompson uh, kind of gave me the idea. So it was the summer of 2017. And she said, you know what would be brilliant? And I just thought, actually, you know what? I'd really love just to do that and, and yeah. just talk to people. And so just... that's one of the roots of the concept, the idea. Who else uh, kind of inspired you when you were thinking what you want to achieve with this? Um, I've never really asked you that. What what was actually the the bigger goal of this? Is it you know, is it to, is it the people side of things? Is it the yeah. lessons? Is it the stories? Is it the technical content? Which which of the bits was driving you back then? I know it would be different now. It probably should have been, and it should be sharper in terms of its, um, the persona of the people that might listen in. When people yeah. say, "Well, who listens into the podcast?" I, I often think I don't know because I, unless people have shared that on social media or messaged yeah i don't know whether they've listened um and i think for me there were a couple of quite basic broad motivations one of which was to share that look behind the curtain look behind the scenes of of what goes on and i didn't really sense that there was enough of that type of discussion and content and I suppose an opportunity for some bright minds, some people who have been there and done it, I'm fortunate enough to have that, those connections, but also the, the people who are behind the scenes, who yeah. don't necessarily have the public profile, but make an amazing difference. And to, to share some of the coffee conversations that, that you have with people mm. that you think, oh, I'd, I'd love to be able to to share that conversation or equally you hear of those conversations going on and you think I'd love to be part of that mm. um, to to try and offer a, 
any safe place for people to to share what they know? So four years is an entire Olympic cycle. Uh, in that yeah. sense, this is your Olympic cycle. <laughs> um, looking back at that, you, you've experienced lots of lots of aspects of this with people. You know, it's all been about yeah. all about the, the people you've you've talked to and the stories that you've told. Um, what's been the kind of the bits where you've? I was going to ask you, you know what the highlights. And we can come on to that. But what are the bits where you've really felt that was probably the most unexpected? Where are the bits that have changed you as a, as an individual, either change your your perception on something or giving you an insight, but because it was unexpected, because you weren't expecting, it wasn't on your script. It was something that's come from the people you're talking to. Well, I think one of the motivations was to share, and so it was an outward looking view of um, I think it would be wonderful for people to tune in and almost be that fly on the wall type conversation I don't know if the fly on the wall is the right term it's sort of almost like the room's being bugged or something but um, that that outward looking but then relatively quickly I just thought god I'm I'm lucky to have these conversations yeah and it being not not having a fund for professional development this has become my professional development. I'm learning and developing along the way. And that could be something as simple as the fact that somebody's got a book out and we're interviewing them and talking to them about their book. And so I've read the book <laughs> or I've, I've looked through it to pick up some of the key concepts mm. and the things that have sprung out. So it's, be- it's become personally really uh, developmental in that sense. I think the... Because I didn't know what I was doing, I still don't know whether I know where I, I know what I'm doing. But but in terms of the interviewing process and having spoken to lots of performers, lots of coaches over the years, I I didn't know whether it was. I felt, almost felt like it it needed to be a different format. I needed to I needed to be different. And so some of the early conversations got, were quite. I'd sketch out what I wanted to cover, and I'd follow it. Mm-hmm. but quite early on I started realising I need to follow my nose a bit here I need to be a bit more instinctive mm. and rather than bounce from one question to the next to be willing to go off script and to explore a particular concept and say tell me more about that or why is that or so, what was the problem with this you, you could answer the question who has that happened with but then you might be revealing a few confidentialities and that we don't actually necessarily need to know. But I'm, I'm probably more interested in why has that happened and how do you sense that? So when you're talking with somebody and you're thinking, well, these, this is my script, you know, these are the kind of the, the, the points of the path that I wanted to mark, but now we're going off here. How do you sense that that's the right time to do that? And what are you looking for? And, and what are you kind of getting from the person you're with that will give you that confidence it's right to, to dive that far? Yeah, well, I'll give you an example that I won't name names, but um, prominent world champion, uh, close to household name athlete. And I, I was interviewing them uh, down Skype and we didn't have the video on. So I wasn't able, I wasn't picking up the body language, the body language or the, the engagement. And I thought, I'm not sure they're giving me I suppose a fresh and spontaneous view as to what happened in the pursuit of, of excellence. And I just, I was just sat there kind of scratching my head thinking, I'm just going to have to ask 
a question that I'm feeling rather than one that I've written down. Yeah. And, and I went off script and, and the person came back with a, I can't remember the specific question now, but, but it, it was, oh, I've never been asked that before. <laughs> and I, and I had this, I had this trust yourself, Steve, as a manager and as a, I suppose as a leader of people, if I follow a, if I follow a plan of how to manage, that's not going to work at all. I'll read what's in front of me and what's emerging. And, yeah. and if I sense there's a risk or there's a problem, I would go and explore that because I, I care for those people. And I thought it's exactly the same, that, that ask the questions that perhaps people aren't, haven't thought of asking from before because of the unique perspective I've had. Um, Miss Val... Condos Field, um, UCLA gymnastics head coach. Um, she she was actually recommended to me. I didn't know Miss um, Val, and um, I put a, a message out, and and someone said you should you should interview Miss Val. And I watched a lot of videos of her being interviewed. And again, it just further reinforced: don't follow what people are asking. Mm. Follow what you think will be interesting. And, and also be, this, is, this often makes me quite nervous going into an interview of not knowing what's going to emerge. Mm. And I don't know how I will respond, but I've kind of backed myself. <laughs> I think that, that, I, that whole concept of when you're dealing with people who are experts in whatever domain, it's not rules, it's principles that you're, you're picking up on of, of how, they, how they go about their business, how they make their decisions, how they, they interpret and have perspective on things. And... I think that is it. It is instinctive when you see it, yeah. but it will have the, all their history and experience behind it that led to that point, and you're tapping into that. Your 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 paths are just merging for that moment in time where you're seeing it through, seeing the same thing through their eyes, or you're seeing it, you know, through their perspective. And that, I think that's really rich content. I, I I don't know how you prepare for it apart from having immersed yourself in it well, uh, to know well, what to to know how to identify it to recognize no, it. I think that's a risk, but it's also that's a, it's probably a unique aspect of the podcast in that if um, if it's just the same people bleating on about the same stuff, you know, with due respect to niche yeah. specialist podcasts because they serve a purpose. You know, there, there are plenty of really good, deep uh, strength and conditioning or nutrition or or psychology podcasts, and there's a very similar theme that yes. emerges on a frequent basis. And if you're operating in that field, then that's going to help you and reinforce your work. Mm. But so much of what we do is requires breadth. And, mm. and I always wanted to just go and explore and, and find people that I would find interesting but would challenge me. Yes. Um, and that's that includes, in sport, the performers, the coaches, the scientists, the medics, uh, the, um, the people who also have operated and performed in a completely different field that we can still learn from. But it often means that I'm thinking, I don't know where to start here. Mm -hmm. Or I might say, excuse my ignorance, but... <laughs> because I, I don't have that context specific experience um but i'm i'm interested so mm. <laughs> I, okay so a specific question there you mentioned about other industries and other yeah. areas of where you have performance of a sort 
and people who are good at what they do. Um, so when you're looking at that, and you, you've had you've had a lot of high performance individuals from sport and across those other industries, what do you see as those those commonalities that you're that you're recognizing? Not so much in what they do and how they've done it, but in the people. Um, that's a tough one because you've got some people who are very prepared to suffer a cost for right. their pursuit. You've got some people who have, have, have done that. You've got some people who've realized this is not for me and I don't want to do that. Um, you've also got people who have chosen to, to explore and research. And so they're pursuing a different type of, I suppose, performance. They're contributing to performance. Um, I got a sense from someone like Mel Marshall, who's a former uh, Olympic swimmer. She's been there in Olympic final, but she is now a specialist in supporting Adam Peaty to mm. become a, you know, the, the amazing athlete that he is. And um, but she is, she is attacking it with the fer same ferocity that I would expect from an elite athlete. Yes. Um, equally, uh, there are other people who've realised, you know, this is we've got to be careful with this. We've got to be careful with the pursuit of of excellence. It's got to be a, an informed choice as to how much we we push. I think that the that balance of I'm I'm pursuing this and something else is going to give in my life is something that anyone who's actually in it um, has experienced and is probably reflecting on um, mm -hmm. afterwards. And so that's that's one. The the other the other thing that I've really noticed in performers, specifically in the performance, so the Olympic performers and the performing arts um, and people who perform in a different way. Um, so, you know, you can contrast someone like a Mark Webber or a Jessica Ennis, and you can contrast that with Louise Minchin, a BBC Breakfast presenter, and Emma Hatton, West End star. They are... They, they will constantly refer to, indirectly or directly, being present in the moment. Yes. And that, as a, as a critical skill to remove distractions and to be immersed in their performance. So with Louise Minchin, for example, she talks about sort of collapsing, <laughs> tired after uh, presenting in the morning, especially if there's a high highly important guest yep. that she's got to be absolutely on point with so many different inputs and we take that some simple skill for granted when they, she's getting audio from the presenter and the director and the next thing's coming up or that's things that's been delayed and she's got to be charming <laughs> she's got to be uh, she's got to be the best version of herself at five o'clock in the morning um, that's not too dissimilar from how it felt for Jess on the start line of the hurdles in 2012 of where do I get my confidence from? Yeah. What do I focus on and how do I be, how am I, I present? I like your example there of particularly like the, the first example around, you know, in this case, a, a media, you're someone who works in media, a presenter. Yeah. Because your conversation with Louise is a bit of a fractal of itself, isn't it? It's kind I know, of, I did say that to her. I was like, oh my God, you're like the best presenter in the world. And you're the... <laughs> Uh, what, what struck me when you were talking about that was it's there's a consequence of consequence 
So the fact that the thing in that moment in time, that performance has massive consequence, be it in this case in front of millions of people on TV and you're interviewing somebody who might be very meaningful or be it in front of millions of people on the start line of an, of an event. But the, that has consequence in itself. And the consequence that you feel afterwards, that is the, the weight of that. And, you know, that reflection, I, I, I really like that as an example, the reflection of being exhausted from performance, even when it's not physical. It's Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that you got quite meta on me there. I wasn't quite, I wasn't Did quite we just sure. dive, dive down? Yeah, uh, well, I think that it's a reminder that you might watch somebody on television, BBC Breakfast Presenter, for example, and... And that's slightly alien to me um, versus the elite athlete, the performer that I know, and I've grown and developed a relationship over the years, and I've sort of said, oh, do you mind coming on the podcast? Um, the reminder is that they're still human and that, that you can judge these people from a distance and... You know, imagine what they're like from the tweets that they put out, or that, or you know, the types of quotes that they might be put out into the media. But they're still human. They've still got the same doubts and curiosities and um, worries and hopes and ambitions that that we all have. I suppose the benefit is that that if somebody has said yes to coming on the podcast, they're already invested. Yeah. Where is say if I've got to try and persuade somebody to follow a training program that I've set, they might be a bit sceptical and standoffish. Really, uh, an invite to come on the podcast is an invitation to share what you know and, yeah. and be a celebration of you. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, the risk of sound going all Alan Partridge on you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Never a good way to start yeah, a sentence. What's your favourite colour? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> what's you <laughs> bang, Chris, what's it? <laughs> Um, youth Hustling with Chris Eubank, that was it. We could be, there, we could be here a long time. <laughs> That's a great podcast. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, you talk, you know, you've talked about the human side. That's what it is. You know, you're dealing with humans yeah. and everything that goes with that. Um, you're dealing with people. You're dealing with their stories. What's, what's moved you the most? Or who has moved you? What, the, what are the stories that have really resonated in... I asked you before about the most unexpected. Yeah. You might have expected it to move you. But what has moved you the most? So, so certainly the parallel fields have made me so excited about the commonalities. Mm. Um, I, I've mentioned a few there. Um, certainly Lucy Balfour, um, ballerina at Rombert. The commonalities of performing and sustaining performance in that environment. There's so many rich lessons that can transfer into the world of sports performance. Um, not necessarily Olympic spike performance for one day of uh, of four years but sustaining performance that you're preparing every day or yeah. you have to turn up and be a good a good version of yourself those have always made me come out of the interview um when it's been done on on zoom here i'll open the door and i'll go in and see rachel and I'm like, that was great that was amazing the lessons and that transferability um the the response from people that I've actually met has, has been somewhat surprising, but also motivating and moving. When people have said, I loved that interview, and I say, well, tell me why. And then they come up with something completely different to yes. how I interpreted it. Yeah. And that, that has really moved me, actually. 
Um, a good example, I did some work for a, a company. So it's in a corporate environment and I spoke to the um, lead, the, head, the, head, the VP of marketing. And they said, oh, I love listening to your podcast. I was just thinking, okay, maybe it's Liz Stokoe about excellent communication or something obvious. I love that one with Peter Vint. Thinking, okay, Peter Vint, performance director of volleyball, analytics, statistical background. I was like, that's really interesting. Mm. I would never imagine that somebody would take that from, with due respect to Peter, you're th I think you're brilliant, Peter, um, but that, that connection... So that's on the probably a superficial, not superficial, that's probably on just that surprise moment um, for me. And you can't know that. No. Until somebody tells you. But it's almost like curating a museum, dare I say it. Not a museum of old wrinklies um, that you've, you've talked to, <laughs> but a museum of, of wonders that you're opening the doors to and that people will come around and see things and, and enjoy things for different reasons for the reason why you put it there. But I, I find that very, um, I find that fascinating. I find it a little bit big to carry almost, you know, because you, you don't know where the edges are of that. You just put it out there, just open the doors. I think I probably, I'd love to hear more of those. You yeah. Know, and, and that's probably, um, I listen to a podcast on a dog walk or on a car journey. Um, and I'm, I'm not necessarily drawing up 10 tweets to share about the lateral thinking that I've made, I'll just soak it up. And I, and I recognise that's the thing that people do. Probably as the publisher of it, I would yeah. love to hear more of those. Um, the ones that have really moved me, um, I probably was expecting. Um, the goosebump moments moving or no wobble and oh, emotional right. emotional shift for me of of uh, I I'm gonna I can cry here. Oh, you're a sensitive soul. Well, I am. I'm getting old now. My testosterone's waning. So <laughs> <laughs> um, the David Smith um, Paralympian, you know, it's an extremely popular um, episode of the podcast. And he's not just a Paralympian, so he's overcome that adversity of struggling against the disability and, and so on. Um, I went down to interview him at his flat in London, and he's paralysed down one, one side, and he's struggling to, to open the door and make me a cup of coffee and, and so on. And we get down and talk. And David is one of the most articulate people that I know, and, and not only in terms of his wonderful Scottish lilt, but the ability to describe what he's been through and go again mm -hmm. and to reflect and to wonder why he's on this earth um and i remember him talking at the eis english institute of sport conference a few years ago and he got a standing ovation so he was always on my list of people to to get in but he'd changed since actually he'd he'd reflected and, and not just this pursuit of performance and going from one, one, I guess, health issue in terms of Paralympic, um, the, the, the disabilities that he was um, dealing with, but he was diagnosed with cancer, and then he'd go into surgery a number of times where it's, it's not just any old surgery, it's life-threatening surgery. Yeah. And he spoke about the, the moment when you go, you go into the operating theatre and it wasn't until he started talking about his family. Yes. He starts talking about, th 
this might be the last time that I see my family and I hope they're okay. And he, he was sort of turning it back round on the fact that we as support people, we're, we sort of usher people off to go and perform. Um, his job there is that he's got to make it feel okay for them um, to say goodbye. Um, and I was like, oh. And <sighs> I, I, I properly wobbled on the... Just, you're telling me about it now. Yeah, uh... it, was, it was so moving. But, but it wasn't until oh, yeah. that shift of, of thinking about the loss of, of family. And, and Consequence. Yeah. And so he was, he's got to that place because he's worked with a number of people over the years. And, but Steve Peters has, has really worked with him around who are you? What's your identity? And he wraps up so much associated with him as the Paralympian or the elite cyclist and not so much him. And, um, yeah, that was, that was really moving. Um, recently hearing, um, uh, this was a surprise, not, not so expected, but recently talking to, uh, Steve Redgrave, uh, Matt Pinson and Steve wobbling, <laughs> Well, you've known those guys for a long time. Yeah, and, and I don't think I'd... you've learned something <laughs> brand new. I wasn't expecting Steve to cry, and for him to to feel that emotional shift. And and one of the things that um, has been really active, um, a number of people have commented. So so if anyone hasn't listened to it, go and have a listen. And Steve describes the cost of Olympic pursuit. And that it came at a cost for his family. And he made that decision on his own. And it's very selfish. And Anne, his wife, didn't want him to continue after Atlanta. But he did. And then he's off the back of the bike in, on a South African training camp. And he's suffering. He's, but he's, he didn't know because of his blood sugars. And he phoned up and, and said to Anne, you know, I don't think I can do this. And she said, we'll find a way. And that was the moment he just broke. And... Um, what was beautiful about that moment um, was not just Steve reflecting on the, the, that deep cost of pursuing something for, for, for a medal for, for no particular end, but the, the fact that it came at a cost for his family. But what was magical about that moment was I genuinely didn't know what to say. <laughs> I'm waiting and thinking... It will come. Don't worry. I just thought I'd leave Steve to process it and speak when he's ready. But Matt came in mm. and stepped in, and it was it was almost like down Zoom. He was putting his arm around him, and and he just said he just he just came in and said, "I remember that camp. That was really tough. I remember that how it felt." And it just just that partnership aspect of we did that together. Um, and I know you're reflecting now, but I was there with you, and it's okay. Uh, and a lot of people have commented on that moment. Great. Yeah. Did you reflect about it afterwards with them? Did you go back to that moment and talk about it again? No, I think um, you always have this before and after discussion on, on the podcast, before you sort of stop, start recording, and then when you stop. Which can be some of the most valuable they can. parts of the it's conversation. It's funny. It's, you know, we... The number of times I've gone, stop, 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 stop. Let's get this in the conversation. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I just wish it, I don't know whether it's worth pursuing actually, of, of starting a Zoom call or a sit down interview and just record the entire thing. I think uh, that wouldn't, I would imagine some of the best uh, 
um, musical albums have been created by the sound engineer just pressing the big red button, you know, yeah. during during little bits of jamming and sound checks and so on. There's always a bit of a confidential piece when someone might have a rant yes. about something or um, afterwards. Um, but the the instance there with Steve and and Matt and probably someone like Jessica Ennis or Kelly Southerton was a good example when she just got her medal bronze medal awarded 10 years after having it taken away by some people who doped and um, it was a chance to ask some questions that I didn't ask in the moment we journeyed together yes. real tight partnership for a number of years and we had a conversation afterwards that we should probably have had during of how it felt um, and Kelly was really open about how she probably let other competitors get in her head and we'd had a sort of a conversation about this before where she might throw her arms up and, and behaviorally give away some clues that it, it wasn't going well um but yeah she said she talked she talked openly about how um Ludmilla Blonska took took drugs and how that bothered her and it, it got in her head and meant that she was distracted from her own performance right um and so it's almost a privilege to kind of go back and sort of think, you're probably doing this anyway, you know, going back and saying, can we process the thing that we experienced together? Mm. I have a question that's along those lines, really. And I was going to ask you about, you know, this is now, this is 2021. But in 2031, when you or I are considerably older than we already are, how do you think these will be looked at in terms of the information that's in there, the the experiences, the life stories that you, you've told, what's going to stick around them? The, what's going to stick around and, you know, keep, keep, keep ringing, keep buzzing um, 10 years time. Well, one of the, I think one of the benefits of the, the fact that I'm talking to people about their experiences, where they've come from, how they grew up in, in the, almost the prelude to getting to the bit that they might have achieved something or stood on top of a podium or performed on stage. Um, the um, there's there's an evergreen aspect to that. That I I think some of the podcasts that have been time based and specific to a certain um, feature. So we did a we did a three episode run. Um, Phil Skeeber, Louise Burke, Andrea First, and I was specifically asking them. What, how would you respond under lockdown? You know, from a nutrition point of view, from a mental point of view, mm -hmm. from a from a medical point of view, and they came up with some great gems. But they were quite specific to COVID nineteen mm. kicking in and lockdown happening. Um, and so, I, I wonder whether those might not last as long, because there is a specific nature to it that. It's almost a bit like the news desk yeah. of I'll tune in and watch that feature about that breaking news, but I'm not interested in that in two weeks' time. Sure. But the human journey aspect of it, I think people will um, will continue to connect with. Um, yeah, as, as, um, as James Glover said on the podcast, that people connecting with other people is how stuff gets done <laughs> and Great I, I think that we can continue to listen in and connect with people 
so that it can enable you to to do what you're doing. I guess the premise of you're going into this, your conversation is to to talk to them about their their history, their experience, their story, what's made them to what they are at that moment in time. And that's a past looking perspective, but it sits and lives in the present. And that's the bit I'm interested to say, that present, how, how long, how wide that will be and how much that will stay around. Um, and I think, I, I guess you can't judge that now. I guess that would be no. in 10 years time, we can have this conversation again and see which bits have really stuck around. Yeah, I think so. Like If you think about um, someone like Caitlin Ohashi, um, you know, she's now advertising cars on, on TV. Um, she went viral with her routine from UCLA um, on YouTube and, and social media that just sort of lit up the world. But she talks about journaling. She talks about writing. She talks about uh, being nurtured and coached by a mentor. Those, those are perennial yes. uh, concepts um, over time. And, and he, that, was, that was fresh to her experience. Uh, that would have been 2018, I think. But, but talking to Mike Powell just recently, who's a, who's a hero of mine when, when I was, as I was growing up, and, and I, that, that competition with Carl Lewis in Tokyo for the Long Jump World Championship final, it stood with me for years. Um, so this was, so we're talking 30 years on. Mm. Mike Powell told it as if it was yesterday, and he <laughs> brought such fire to the conversation and was so enthusiastic and bouncing and he was up in the chair and and moving about and uh this this was such a joy to hear that he must have told that story a gazillion times and sometimes you can always get a bit of a flavor if someone's rolling out the same statement um i suppose there is an art to that for for communicators of being able to communicate at a consistent level for someone assuming that it's the first per- first time that they've the heard it. The energy and the emotion yeah. that they felt the first time around. Yeah, he, he said... It's like, a privilege, isn't it? It to, is. To see that and to, to be to be on the receiving end of it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, I know, he was, he was great. That, and that, I've, I've just used the word privilege there, and I, that was one of my reflections, you know, the privilege that you've had to lift the lid, peek behind the curtain, whatever metaphor you want to use, of these people, their lives, their experiences, their perceptions, their insights, their wisdom. Um, and what a privilege that is, because this kind of stuff doesn't sit in the textbook. You know, this is no. this is life, this is real, this is human factors. Um, I think that's utterly extraordinary. Um, and I don't know how you put a price on that. I think this is truly priceless kind of stuff. Um, what a privilege to, to, to be able to do that. Yeah, I think so. And the, like I said, with the people that you've already known, you've, You've got a sense of, you know, you're recapping, you're you're reflecting together. Yeah. Um, the people that are in your network that you might be able to bounce off quite freely because there's a there's a peer recognition. People that I haven't met before. Uh, um, so recently, Alistair Brownlee talking about the pursuits of the sub seven hour um, Ironman, but also reflecting on his career. Um, I was just blown away by the guy. <laughs> now, physiologically, mentally, we know that he's extraordinary. Um, but his capacity for an interest in the fields that determine success for him. Mm-hmm. So many performers are very much, give me the top line um, and don't, don't clutter it too much. And sometimes your job 
when you're working with athletes is to declutter it and you want to take you want to sort of Simplify hold stuff reduce. back yeah. so that you don't worry them too much um but he was just so, so much appetite but it's, he was he was talking about stuff I know lots about better than I probably could do. <laughs> um, I was just so blown away by that. And, and that probably gives you that sense of the extraordinary range of different types of people, ones that need that and ones that actually I don't want that. I yes. don't, don't need it. Um, and, and how the different ways performance can be created. Yes, and I think you just described it very well there, that level of intelligence. And it's not just academic intelligence about know-how. It's, it's, it's wisdom, it's perception, but it's expertise as well. And, but I, and in this case, in your Alistair example, the curiosity and appetite to, to do something better and to learn. Um, you know, you and I have worked long enough to, with, um, with enough people to know that when you see that, they're the people you want to work with, never mind actually ask about, you know, in, in, in your case, interviewing them. But um, such good, such rewarding collaborations and relationships to have. Yeah, I think so. And one feeling that I almost always have, I think nearly every single podcast, um, we're having a conversation. It's going in different directions. Um, they're helping guide me as much as I'm asking them questions. Um, there's always a feeling that I get at some point in the podcast because we, we create these little media clips. We, we clip out, a, you know, a one minute section of the of the um, the conversation and we put that out onto social media. And I get this little tingle at the back of my head. That's your minute. <laughs> and I That's the just feel this energy and this emotion and this bounce in the conversation yeah. that you get from people and just think, God, oh, brilliant. Love it. That's such a valuable insight. And I, I hope those sorts of clips or those moments are, um, are making a difference for people. 